Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate of Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. As it is the middle of the middle of March, so what else could we be talking about besides the big dance it's march madness underway as we know it with the first four back in dayton ohio two of the first four games in the books texas southern and indiana your winners on a tuesday night as we record just after the hoosier victory went final and we'll have two more first four games tomorrow before the tournament gets underway in earnest on thursday we bring in our college hoops Partner in crime, Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. Bill, it's great to have you back, and it is great to have the tournament back as we know it. It was good that it was able to happen last year uh, with the bubble in Indianapolis, but now we got all the sites all around the country, and it just feels right again. Yeah, it definitely does. Look, this whole season felt a lot better uh, sort of like it got back to normal, but the tournament itself, I mean, we got a little bit of a taste of it, obviously, tonight, and we'll get a little bit more tomorrow, but come Thursday when we actually get the, the full slate of games, it's going to be a joy to actually watch it with full crowds in attendance and, like you mentioned, at all the different uh, host cities, not just in that one bubble location. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. And uh, before we get into our plays, I do want to just start with that game that just ended as uh, the Indiana Hoosiers defeat the Wyoming Cowboys. Uh, 
and cover for me. I was on the Hoosiers laying the short number in what I felt mm-hmm. was a de facto home game for Indiana. Uh, it's just about three hours from Bloomington to Dayton. And so, um, Bill, I just feel like, and you can make the same argument for Texas football, but I, I'm just more passionate about Indiana being a viable college basketball program again. And I really hope Mike Woodson's the guy to bring the program back. Obviously, an alum played for Bob Knight. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, they're going to get St. Mary's next. So whether or not they go on a run here, we've seen, you know, teams get hot out of the first four before. But I I just think uh, it's good for the sport when you have Indiana going good again. And, you know, you and I weren't around for the Bob Knight days there at that program, really in earnest. And, uh, you know, to my kind of biggest memory of Indiana basketball being good would be some of those early Tom Crean days. Uh, and I just feel like uh, it's important that that program is good for the sport. So I'd like to see, you know, uh, not that the rivalry with Purdue has diminished at all, but on a national scale, I'm sure that could take off given how successful Purdue has been in our lifetime. And uh, I, I'm just happy for Mike Woodson. And again, I'd like to see his program really continue to make strides tournament in his first year is a good start though. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I'm thinking back, you know, Indiana, kind of like the heydays, and it's old school basketball. And they got a guy there in Trace Jackson Davis who, I mean, he's one of the few guys that actually knows what to do in the post at this level. Like, you know, the game has evolved so much to outside shooting that you don't see those dominant post players anymore. But, I mean, watching him and his his moves, his footwork on the on the block is just – a sight to see for an old school guy like me. Like I love watching that stuff. Anybody can jack it up from 35 feet, you know, but a big man to be able to use his body the right way and, you know, drop step or, you know, a pivot to change to a little jump hook, that court sort of stuff. And this, this kid can even, you know, handle the ball. Well, we saw him go to the basket a couple of times on a break and get in contact, finishing with contact. Um, it's, it's fun to watch, but I agree with you. It's, it's good for the sport to have a name like Indiana back in some national prominence and hopefully Mike Woodson's that guy, like you said. Yeah. And I I think this leads me into my next point again, before we get to the picks, just takeaways from the bracket. I thought Indiana had done enough to avoid Dayton. And I mean, I thought it certainly was a little backward seeing Michigan avoid Dayton, but Indiana have to go there when Indiana beat Michigan in the big 10 tournament. So Having said that, I do think that when I look at kind of where this thing's headed uh, as far as the bracket, what else took out, what else took stood out for you? I, I thought, you know, like I saw Joe Lenardi saying, well, it was good that Wyoming got in over Texas Tech and Oklahoma because it shows the respect for the mid-majors. I didn't quite come down with that same interpretation because – uh, excuse me, not Texas Tech, Texas A&M. Um, but I didn't interpret it the same way because I still saw Dayton as the first team out, and I still saw SMU left out when Michigan avoided going to Dayton entirely and when Notre Dame still got in and when Rutgers got in and when Indiana got in. So it still felt like there was some uh, high major bias there. Yeah. I thought Duke was the most overseeded team in the field, and um, even though the – Vols are a three. I, they, they stood out as one that was still a bit underseated. 
Uh, so those are just some things for me. Anything for you just as far as bubble and overseeded, underseeded teams? Uh, yeah, I agree with you on the, the smaller name programs not getting in. It's it's typical, right? Like you, you put these top programs that have, you know, the power five or power six conferences, wherever you want to say about them. Um, and, and they finish, what, third or fourth and not great records like Notre Dame. They can sneak into it over the teams like you mentioned, SMU and Dayton. I feel bad for them because – I really feel bad for the coaches, to be honest, because it just puts them in such a tough spot. Um, you know, like, what can, what else can they do except right. play teams that they're scheduled, you know, and then get them their conference games. It's like, and then yeah, the margin everybody. for error is just so much slimmer. Exactly, exactly. You know, you can talk about the quad one wins and all that kind of stuff. Like, well, it's all about opportunity, too. You know, if these teams don't have opportunities to, to play those teams and get those quality wins, like, what do you? what else would you want them to do? Um, but I agree with your your point on Duke too. They're they're overshoot. They're probably. I, by the way, I like Davidson to get to the second weekend. I, I think. It, I wouldn't be shocked if either one of them, the winner of Davidson Michigan State, I wouldn't be shocked if either one of them took out took out the Blue Devils. To be sure. honest, I think they're gonna have a hard time with Cal State Fullerton. To be honest with you, I don't know if you caught that game for their uh, for their conference championship. I was up all night watching it because uh, I had I had them minus one and a hook. I got hooked on it, but uh, it was a fun, fun game to watch them go back and forth. It was a bunch of different 10-0 runs back and forth, teams knocking down threes left and right. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Duke's overseeded. As far as teams that uh, I think might be a little bit underseeded, um, I agree with you on Tennessee. I, I, I really, really like Tennessee here. Um and who was my Nova guy? I think if we get that matchup in the Sweet 16, it could be the best game of the tournament. I agree. I, I I think let's put it this way. I think the South. I think there are four teams in the South region that have a legitimate shot at getting to the national title, and that's Arizona, Villanova, Tennessee, and I would not count out Houston at all. Sure. Um, so I think there's four quality teams in that. That's a very, very tough region. Um, like I said, I think anybody out of there could, could definitely make it to the finals. But, yeah, nothing else really stood out for me. Look, I, we can sit here and debate all we want about seeds and stuff like that. Unfortunately, it just is what it is. We can't change it. It's not probably going to change with these big names unless conferences completely change. But, hey, we still got the tournament, man. That's all that matters, right? Oh, 100%. And I'll say one other thing. Similarly to how the South region stood out for you, I love that East region because you have two teams from last year's Final Four potentially Mm -hmm. on a collision course for the Sweet 16 in UCLA and Baylor. And then you also have a blue blood in Kentucky who, you know, is, by the way, shout out Calipari, a little bit of an older team this Mm -hmm. year at Kentucky and Oscar Sheboy, probably the National Player of the Year. You have Kentucky as the number two seed in that bracket. And then old reliable Purdue. And if there's any coach and program that deserves a trip to the final four more than Matt Painter and Purdue, you'll have to let me know. And because you'll have a hard time convincing me that anybody would earn it and has paid their dues more just to get to the final four. I know, you know, Mark Few and Gonzaga certainly are well overdue for a national championship, but Purdue uh, under Painter yet to go to a final four. So I would love to see Purdue make a run. I just think that region. Very intriguing in terms of the one through four. And then, you know, you look up and down some of the other teams in that region that jumped out at me. And you, you know, you you see obviously another blue blood in North Carolina, albeit 
Not the best season for the Tar Heels this year. Uh, I think the 5-12 game, now that we know it'll be Indiana, is pretty interesting. St. Mary's Mm -hmm. was one of the better mid-majors. And speaking of mid-majors, how about the 7-10 game? Murray State and San Francisco. And, and Bill, we're going to get into it more as we get into our picks. But you look at that region, too. St. Mary's, Murray State, and San Francisco. Uh, The mid-majors have had very strong years. The WCC was a three-bid league. The Mountain West was a four-bid league. Had Dayton gotten in, the Atlantic 10 would have been a three-bid league. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, don't sell these mid-majors short. You talked about Cal State Fullerton, maybe more of a low major. But having said that, uh, a lot of these teams, you don't see a lot in the regular season. And therefore, I think sometimes they get to, you know, Vermont and South Dakota State won 30 games, respectively. Mm-hmm. So the and, you know, Murray State was a team that was routinely in the top 25. So, yeah, I really like that East region. Yeah, and hey, we get a, a pretty interesting matchup with Villanova and Delaware in the first round, too, right? You got Jameer Nelson Jr. Uh, on the floor for Delaware, leading the Blue Hens against uh, the rival of his father when he was playing over at St. Right. Joe's against Nova. I, I'll always give the committee credit for trying to come up with those little geographic yeah. quirks in the bracket, too. And, sure. uh, you know, sometimes there's some bias or some advantages like Wisconsin gets to go to Milwaukee and we'll get to the Badgers a little bit later on. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's part of the fun of the tournament too, right? I mean, uh, Absolutely. It, it just, I, and, and from a gambling standpoint, it's important to look at where these teams are headed. You mentioned Houston, by the way, they're not, you know, they're in Pittsburgh this weekend, but if the Cougs win, they're going to San Antonio for the regional. So uh to, to your point about Houston maybe being able to make a run, they'd be playing home games, you would think, the second weekend. So very important to understand the sites and who's bracketed where. Absolutely. Without further ado, let's jump in now, and we're going to mostly go chronologically. We're starting with some Thursday plays and then moving on to Friday plays, but we do want to end with a consensus play on Thursday. By the way, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but we got a trio of consensus plays coming at you on this edition of Full Slate. But we're going to start with a couple of solo plays, and I am going to start in the Midwest region where we have the number eight seed San Diego State Aztecs taking on the number nine seed Creighton Blue Jays. And San Diego State is a short two and a half point favorite here. And Bill, I will... uh, use this a a couple times here over the course of our pod, but uh, it feels like certainly Creighton could be a little bit of a trendy dog here. Anytime you look at the high major team playing the mid major team and the high major team getting points, I think that also maybe speaks a little bit to the public leaning towards the underdog and recency bias. I can sometimes fall victim of it when it comes to my bracket, because I do think you get hot at the right time of year Who's to say anybody can slow you down? Creighton did not win the Big East tournament, but, you know, world's most famous arena, blew the doors off Providence in the semifinal, took Nova right down to the wire, and now people are seeing Creighton getting points. I think it's a little bit of a trap Mm. to take Creighton here. And then when I look at uh, the Aztecs, you know, both these teams match up pretty similarly in the sense that the offensive efficiency for both teams is outside the top 100 and the defensive efficiency for both teams is inside the top 20. And I mentioned the strength of the Mountain West. Mountain West gets four teams in, Big East gets six. So it's not like these two leagues are that far apart. I will take San Diego State. Brian Dutcher has done a nice job 
following his mentor, Steve Fisher. And I like the Aztecs laying the short number. As I said, I think it feels like a little bit of a trendy dog here with Creighton. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of these mid-majors not getting the respect they deserve uh, just in terms of, uh, you know, public perception. And that'll change if you win games in the tournament. So I like San Diego State minus the short number. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. San Diego State touts number two defense and adjusted efficiency. So Creighton's going to have a really, really tough time scoring the basketball. And they're susceptible to turnovers. They're, they're committing turnovers at 20% of their possessions. And San Diego State likes to turn teams over, too. So, it, like you said, it's a trendy dog pick. But uh, I would stay very, very, very far away from the Blue Jays in this matchup. Well, another team that might be a little bit of a trendy dog, but we'll see. I do agree with where you're going on the side in this one uh, in a 4-13 matchup in the South region, the Providence Friars and the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Providence laying just two in this game, and it is in Buffalo, so maybe that'll help the Friars a little bit, uh, but... Uh, listen, I, I, I think it's South Dakota State or pass. You're going to be on the Jackrabbits. When you see this line that short, mm-hmm. it's certainly uh, going to – excuse me, I, I got the region wrong. This is not the South region. This is uh, actually the same Midwest region that I was just in. So, But the game is in Buffalo, and um, you know it, it's clearly a line that is so fishy that I could not take Providence. Uh, but just tell me a little more. It's your pick why you like Sandy, South Dakota State. Yeah, right out of the gate, that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping to see a really, really short line um, after I saw the brackets come out. I've been high on South Dakota State pretty much all year. Um, was hoping they would get a pretty favorable matchup uh, in the brackets, and I don't know if they could have gotten a more favorable one with Providence because I, though I didn't mention it before, but I believe Providence is one of the most overrated teams in the league. I know they're like top, the top team maybe in the Kempom ratings of, uh, of luck, um, throughout yeah. the season, and you know, luck can only take you so far. So, I think they're going to run into some big problems here against the Jackrabbits. Thirteen seeds have beaten the four seeds thirty-one times over the last thirty-six years. Twenty-one percent win percentage um, from those thirteen seeds. Six of those thirty-one upsets took place over the last five tournaments. We had two of them actually happen last tournament uh, alone. So, I think it's it's always sort of trendy, so to speak, that a thirteen is going to take out a four. In the bracket, five twelve. What's that? Yes, same thing. Yeah, five twelve, the same thing. Um, I was gonna say this feels like the modern five twelve. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, and then we've always talked about before, right? Like how the total can sort of be indicative of what we think the outcome is going to be, and we got a pretty decent high total here of one hundred and fifty, um, and that obviously is going to favor the South Dakota side they're ranked 12th in the country in offensive efficiency they're first in effective field goal percentage they're first in three-point percentage their three-point percentage i didn't look at this too too deep but i would i would venture to guess that nearly half the teams in the country don't shoot over 44 percent from the field and these guys are doing it from beyond the beyond the arc i'm um, glad that you mentioned the three-point efficiency for the jackrabbits because i think that is again why i i just lean with them but uh, I think that's so important when trying to identify upsets, mm-hmm. you got to be able to shoot because yeah. usually, you know, the double digit seeds that can get hot uh, can just get get on runs from beyond the arc and nobody stops them. And uh, the Jackrabbits are, are capable from beyond the arc. And so if you're looking at that's something I always like to look at with these double digit seeds is how do they shoot the ball? 
Yeah, because like you said, they if they start out hot, you know what I mean? Like how many times have we watch games early on in the tournament where a low seed, you know, a 13, a 14, 15, whatever it may be, they come out really hot and they knock down a couple threes and they're up all of a sudden by like 14, 15 points. And you're like, oh, all right, well, you know, that's just, you know, out of the gate. They did well, but, you know, whoever they're playing is going to come back and win, and they never do. Like, that's that's the thing with this team with South Dakota State, man. If they if they get up on you, like, they're not going to stop. They're they're also the 15th fastest team in the country as far as offensive possessions. Um, so they like to get up and down the floor. They like to shoot from deep. Um, and they also have some trends going in their direction. They're 7-2-1 and one against the spread their last 10 games as a dog. They're 5-0-1 oh, against the spread their last six games. Uh, against a team with a straight-up winning record. And Providence really hasn't impressed me at all. The 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games is a favorite, so they don't do a good job of covering the spread when they are favored. And they're also 0-4 against the spread their last four games in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, that's not going to affect this team, um, but it might say something about one of my favorite coaches, Ed Cooley. I mean, as a favorite, his teams really don't seem to produce when they get to this grandest stage of them all. So... I'm going to be taking the Jack Rabbits. Hopefully they'll be jacking it from deep all day long deep against the Friars. <laughs> and I don't believe the points are going to matter in this one. Like you said, it's going to be a South Dakota State or pass. I'm going to be taking South Dakota State, and I will definitely be taking their money line. Yeah, and I agree with you on Ed Cooley. He's one of my favorite coaches, too. But I think I saw, and maybe this speaks to the luck factor to somewhat of an extent. I don't think Providence had a single all-Big East first-teamer. So, uh wow. You know, that's a testament to the coaching job he's done. Mm -hmm. But again, to win the regular season title probably speaks to getting some luck bounce your way as well. And I mentioned Creighton looking really good against Providence. Well, quite the egg from the Friars in the Big East semifinal last time we saw them. So Providence will have to bounce back quickly. Let's move on to Friday where uh, I want to start with uh, another, uh, you know, another mid-major that we're both on. Uh, as we're going to get to a couple of consensus plays here um, and uh, begin with uh, the, oh gosh, what region is this? The Is this the Midwest? Uh, no, uh, this is the uh, same region, actually. We're sticking in the uh, South region. No, now this is the first time we're going to the South region. Uh, I'll get it right eventually. It's the 710, <laughs> Ohio State and Loyola, Chicago. And... Bill, when the bracket came out, this was one where I was just watching it unfold, and I just immediately, my first inclination, and I never like to renege on these, my first in inclination was, oh, I'm taking the Ramblers. Because, quite honestly, you could have flipped these seeds, and I would have yeah. had no problem with it. Ohio State sure. is just, again, I try not to overvalue recent form, but I think it matters a lot in the tournament and Ohio state is coming in having lost a game recently to Nebraska losing its first 10 game in the big 10 tournament to lowly Penn state. Mm -hmm. I don't expect the Buckeyes to just flip a switch here. And, you know, it, it, clearly, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of hoping just for the sake of the tournament that they don't, because while I wouldn't expect Loyola Chicago to beat Villanova in the round of 32, it would be a much more competitive game, in my opinion, because I, I really think Nova might like boat race Ohio State if that's a 2-7 matchup that we see. And Loyola-Chicago, 
you know, Drew Valentine has just kind of continued what Porter Mosier started there. And that's one thing we saw this a lot. And actually, they still have done it at Xavier, who, you know, was in the Atlantic 10, now the Big East. They had a lot of coaches leave for bigger jobs, but they've always promoted from within. You know, Thad Motto mm-hmm. was a promotion from within. Sean Miller, Chris Mack, now Travis Steele, all guys that they promoted from within. And that's what Loyola Chicago did. And I think it makes a lot of sense when you're that kind of program. Because you're not trying to change a lot. You're just trying to keep the train rolling. And I know they're a long way away from achieving this kind of success, Bill. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious your thoughts on the Ramblers' long-term upside. They have a young coach here. Maybe he, if he sticks around, I think there's a chance that Loyola Chicago in 10 years, 15 years, we're talking about them as a Gonzaga Midwest. Because when you look at that Chicago metropolitan area – the, the schools around there, remember, Illinois is in Champaign. That's a couple hours away. You look at DePaul. You look at Northwestern. Programs that have been down for quite a while. So I think there's a lot of potential for where that program could be headed. Mm-hmm. Given what we've already seen, the body of work of now another tournament appearance and, you know, a Final Four, getting to the second weekend last year. So mm-hmm. I love the momentum for the Ramblers. And as I said, I, I just, you know, Ken Palm has Loyola Chicago is the better team. So right. I think the committee got the seating wrong. Uh, and I honestly, I think the line is maybe a little wrong. I got it at Pickham. I, I think the Ramblers should be favored here. They might go off as a favorite. I'm all over the Ramblers. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the bigger question about, you know, in 10, 15 years from now, is, uh, is Sister Jean going to still be around at that point? Because <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked, man. That lady, oh, my gosh. She's sharp as a knife. It's crazy. Um, do I agree you with think you. there's that kind of upside, or am I reaching there? No, I think you're. I think you're 100 right. And look, it's all going to come down to how many consistently they can get to the tournament, right? Like the more they can get to the tournament, like you, people thought all of a sudden Florida Gulf Coast that with Dunk City was like, oh my god, they're all of a sudden. I remember everybody talking about their enrollment the following year, and it was like. Yeah, it's great, but you know you need to keep showing face, right? Like people remember that run that Florida Gulf Coast had, but they didn't consistently keep coming back to the tournament, and not just same, getting to the same tournament. Same thing with but, UMBC after beating Virginia. Right, exactly. So if if they can keep getting to the tournament and then occasionally making a you know to the second weekend and then showing face more and more out there, yeah, I definitely think they have the ability to do um, what Gonzaga has done in the past. And and in this spot, like you said, man, you can easily flip these seeds. Um, Ohio State does nothing for me at all. Their defense is atrocious. Um, and we were talking about, right, as a, as a lower seed, if you can shoot the ball from deep, these Ramblers are 16th in the country in, in three-point percentage. Ohio State is 205th in the country at defending the perimeter. Um, so they're going to have some big-time problems there. Buckeyes also do not force turnovers at all or push the pace. Uh Loyola Chicago likes to play a slower-paced offensive set, um, so they're going to be really comfortable, I feel like, in this game. Ohio State, too, in the last 11 tournament games. What do you think their record is against the spread, Greg? 11 NCAA tournament games. I'll go 3-8. and eight. You gave them credit for two extra ones. They're 1-10. <laughs> and 10. I mean, it's just, honestly, like, you would think a team like this, right, last year they got knocked out in the first round as what? A two seed? A two seed, yeah. Right. Like, you would think, like, okay, they're going to come into this this year, maybe, like, you know, button up the collar a little bit, be ready for that first game. But I, I don't think we're going to see that at all. I think yeah, like that's you the said. weird part, right? Like, if they were so bad, like, if, after that loss last year to Oral Roberts, mm-hmm. you would think that there would be 
a little more gas in the tank to really rev it up this time of year. And instead they're going backwards. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like it's going to be a, a repeat of last year for them. Um, and you mentioned, you know, it might be a more competitive game if, if uh, little Chicago gets there and meets Villanova. It also might be a, one of the most low scoring games of the <laughs> tournament. If those two meet, you know, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see. Um, because the Ramblers are ranked 22nd in the country in defensive efficiency. So yes, yeah, so Ohio State can score the basketball. Uh, they're going to have problems against a decent Ramblers defense. And when you flip the sides, uh, it's not a contest. Ohio State does not play a quality defensive uh, scheme whatsoever. So, again, I'm with, on, I'm with you on the Ramblers. Sister Jean's going to be rolling into the second game, hopefully against Villanova. All right, let's move on and uh, we'll go to a couple games being played at the Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee. I want to start with one of my solo picks. Uh, it's the 6-11 game between the LSU Tigers and the Iowa State Cyclones. Mentioned a few dogs that I think might be kind of trendy, and I think Iowa State maybe fits that billing because clearly I think everybody knows this Will Wade dismissal at LSU. Oh, surprise, surprise. Will Wade running a not-so-clean program there down in Baton Rouge. Who could have thought it? Having said that, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, let's not forget – and listen, shout out TJ Otzelberger. Iowa State won two games last year, and they're in the NCAA tournament this year. That's very impressive. But maybe the Cyclones a little happy to be here, maybe a little fat and happy. Uh, and as I said, I think the Will Way news makes Iowa State a little bit of a trendy dog. Mm-hmm. And it's still the same players taking the court for LSU. And, you know, we'll see if there's any kind of residual effect with regards to their coaching search. And if they're not able to hire as big of a name as I'm sure they'll try and hire. But for the then and now, as I said, it's the same players. And also, they had a week to prepare. This wasn't like it happened, you know, like a bombshell dropped on their day. Like, say they win this game. It's a Friday game. And then a bombshell drops on Saturday, and they just have to fire Will Wade before their round of 32 game. Like, that's not what happened. They let go of Will Wade after the SEC tournament, and now the LSU Tigers have had a week to prepare. I don't think that that's enough to assume that uh, – excuse me. I, I do think that that's enough time for them to kind of right the ship and just say, hey, this is what we play for. And, you know, we're on the biggest stage in the sport, and we're the – you know, the players are the program. So I don't think it will be as big of a concern as people think it will be. And also, then when you actually just dive into the numbers here, LSU 88th in offensive efficiency, fourth in the country in defensive efficiency. Oh, yeah, they can shut one, you down. Excuse me? They can shut you down, yeah. Right, and Iowa State 150th in the nation in offensive efficiency and 10th in the nation in defensive efficiency. So both of these teams very good on the defensive end of the floor, but LSU – even better at Iowa State's own game in terms of grinding down opponents and significantly better offensively. So I, I think at four, it's a little short. I like LSU minus the points. Yeah, no pushback at all for me. Like you said, the, the firing of Will Wade really shouldn't factor into this game. I'd argue that uh, the LSU team that comes out at the start of next season, even with that whole offseason and a whole new coaching staff, that is going to be a tougher situation because you're trying to change these kids who've been oh, playing under Will Wade for so long, change the culture and change your offensive scheme, potentially defensive scheme. 
Like, they're not changing anything here, right? Like, whoever, I don't even know who stepped in for the interim, but he's not changing anything. He's going to stick with the same plan they've had. And like you said, there are shutdown defense. They're not changing anything defensively. If they are, the guy that's the interim is never going to get a coaching job ever again if he changes anything with this defense. <laughs> right. So I think when you're when people were talking about that way, like, oh, we'll wait, and that's a factor, I agree with you. It, it does not play any factor uh, whatsoever to me in, in this game. I think actually it might play into their favor because who knows what was going on behind the scenes there, who, how happy the kids were to really be playing for him um, if there was all this BS going on behind the scenes. So, yeah, no pushback from me. I'm not going to have a play. And, and Iowa State really has been a heck on, uh, or, yeah, heck on high team, the whole team. Or, sorry, getting tongue-tied here. It's getting late. Uh, check <laughs> on high team, right? Like, there's times where they look amazing against opponents, and there's teams that they played that were, like, so inferior to them, and they just played, like, crap against them. Um, they're one of those teams I feel like burn me if I was on them. They burn me if I was against them. So I'm happy to stay off of this one. Hopefully they're getting knocked out by LSU in the first round, and I don't have to worry about the Cyclones for the rest of the year. Well, there you go. We're going to stay in Milwaukee here. And our another another consensus play for us uh, as we're going to be looking at another double-digit seed here as uh, both of us are interested in Colgate as the Raiders are traveling to Milwaukee to take on the Wisconsin Badgers. And yes, I know it'll be a home game for Wisconsin. Uh, but I think that's one of those public narratives out there that, uh, you know, as much as I have preached looking at the sites, it's not something I want to blindly play. And to be honest, I, I worry as much as I admire, like I talk about Purdue and how, you know, I look at that program and just would love to like, there's a team, a program that deserves success. And I feel like for the most part runs a clean program, although who, who knows who's clean and who's not these days. I'll tell you who is. Bruce Pearl. Or no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, not Bruce right. Pearl. Uh, what's his name? Now I'm blanking on his name from Kansas State. Did you see his speech? Oh, Bruce Weber. Yeah. yeah Bruce Weber, when he stepped down, he was gonna, he's not going to cut his hair until there's uh, the NCAA does something to punish these programs. And right. Right. Him for stepping up and saying it. Yeah, so Wisconsin feels like another one of those programs where it's like you don't hear about them and a lot of the nonsense that goes on behind closed doors. But having said that, I do think that maybe the Badgers just peaked a little early because when you look at – it wasn't that long ago, but they won a big game at home against Purdue, which, by the way, they were a little fortunate to win a couple of bank shots in that game that went the way of the Badgers. But since then, you know, they lose to Nebraska. They lose their first game in the Big Ten quarterfinals against a not-so-great Michigan State team this year. Uh, you know, so they do get a little bit of a gift here, but I don't like the reason for him. And I, I think it's also possible that uh, Wisconsin shows up to this game. Maybe I talked about Iowa State, maybe a little fat and happy getting into the tournament after a two win season. Well, maybe they, there's a little bit of a, you know, let's just rest on our laurels and sit back and, and enjoy an easy W with a home game here. And, and I think, that could lend itself towards Colgate keeping this game very competitive. I wouldn't hate if you sprinkled the money line. I like to. I did take Colgate in my bracket. You know I'm a one bracket guy, Bill, um, mm-hmm. and I like to try and find a contrarian pick. I, I, I'm just going to take the seven and the hook here. Uh, but remember, it's a Colgate team, and and we're pulling for the South Jersey guy, Matt Langle, who grew up in Morristown, was on the staffs with Fran Dunphy at Penn and Temple before getting his first head coaching gig. He's been at Colgate for over a decade now, and these kids have made three consecutive NCAA tournaments now. So they have some experience 
in this dance, which always helps. So um, don't love the recent form for Wisconsin. Think they might come in with the home game thinking, well, they already got it won. And I think Colgate's capable as a low major. So I'll take the Raiders plus seven and a half. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, like you said, we're pulling for the South Jersey guy, Coach Matt Langle. Fun fact, the first ever home game that I've ever coached in my career, my coaching career, <laughs> was the court that he played on in high school at Morristown Friends. It was oh, wow. called the BOG, B-O-G, the big old gym they called it. Um, okay. And I would say it was my second coaching gig, but my first one was in was in East Camden, and that wasn't really a basketball court. It was an emptied-out old indoor pool that we played in. So my first real home game coaching on an actual basketball court was at Morristown Friends. So shout-out to Matt Langle. Shout-out shout out to the Foxes at Morristown Friends, too. Um, but just to get into it, we were, I talked about it with South Dakota State. This is the same kind of uh, analysis I'm going to put out there. I said South Dakota State, right? They're number one in the country in three-point percentage at 40, 44%. Well, we get here, the Raiders of Colgate, number two in the country, a three-point percentage. Yep. They're shooting over 40%. Um, Wisconsin does do a little bit better job of guarding a perimeter um, than uh, Providence does, but I don't think it's going to matter that much. Badgers one and eight against the spread their last nine as a favorite. Uh, and Colgate is six and two against the spread their last eight versus teams with winning straight up records. They can rise to the occasion against better opponents. It seems like the Badgers, when they are favored, at least lately, and like you said, they're kind of trending in the wrong direction. They don't do enough to get the job done to cover the spread. I wouldn't hate the money line sprinkle either. I won't be doing it. I'll be taking the seven and the hook. I do believe the points are going to play a part in this one. Uh, as much as I love to see it happen, I just think Wisconsin's going to squeak by um, with with their super super duper senior Ben Davison. He'll get to the foul line late and knock down some some clutch free throws to get them to advance. All right, let's uh, before we get to our final consensus play, I have one more Friday play. Uh, I'll be quick here, but um, this again one where I, I like the recent form of one team and I don't love it of the other team and uh, I'm going to look to the ACC uh, tournament champion here. Uh, and uh, also I think this line certainly is a little fishy in a six 11 game. You have Texas only laying one against Virginia tech in the East region. And, you know, Vatek obviously listen, I, we talked about how we think Duke's overseeded. But let's still give the Hokies credit for that ACC title game. I mean, that was a very sound performance from Virginia Tech, leaving no doubt in the committee's mind that it should be in the field of 68. We saw Virginia Tech with an upset. Uh, actually, they might have actually been a favorite in the game against Notre Dame earlier in the ACC tournament. Beat beat North Carolina pretty convincingly as well. So the Hokies come in playing well. And honestly, I, Bill, I just haven't been that impressed with Texas most of the year. I, I think that... You know, I, I I don't want to sound hypocritical because they opened the podcast giving Mike Woodson some credit for getting Indiana into the tournament in his first season at the program. Chris Beard has now done that at Texas, but I've watched a handful of Texas games and I just did not think the Longhorns were on that same level of a Kansas, of a Texas Tech, of a Baylor in the Big 12. And, uh, you know, even TCU, for that matter, uh, I think you could argue. I mean, I know TCU is a nine seed. But, um, you know, the Longhorns were kind of one of the odd teams out for me in the Big 12 most of the year. And they happened to catch a hot Vatek team. 
in a game with, again, a, a fishy line that makes me think dog or pass. I'll take the short dog, Virginia Tech plus one. Yeah, no pushback from me. Um, I do think Virginia Tech's going to be a pretty trendy pick. I'll probably yeah. be staying away from it completely, like you said. I kind of wanted to take Texas, but I just I can't trust them with the way they've played, uh, like you mentioned, throughout the year. So it'll be a pass from me. All right, let's wrap things up with another contentious play as we backtrack to Thursday. And here's another 13-4 upset brewing as it's the Vermont Catamounts in the um, double check so I just don't say it wrong in what region they're in. This is the West region as Vermont is playing the Arkansas Razorbacks 413 game. And I do think the site matters for this one because it is in Buffalo, which is a six, seven hour road trip from the Vermont campus. And let's face it, Arkansas, I, I'm sure the Razorback faithful because the, the, you know their fans did not quite make out too well with Buffalo this weekend and then <coughs> West Regional. So having to go out West, uh, I'm sure their fans might be uh, crossing their fingers and saving money to make a trip out West next weekend, particularly if they happen to draw Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. So I think there could be a little bit of a crowd advantage for Vermont here. By the way, the play for me, it's a max play on Vermont plus five. Uh, so I like the uh, home crowd advantage that I think Vermont will have here. And then uh, I also think, you, Bill, you've touched on, we've touched on it with these underdogs and the three-point shooting. Vermont 38th in the country in three-point field goal percentage. Arkansas 313th in the nation in three-point field goal percentage. So clearly you have an advantage in three-point shooting in a you know a Vermont team that I thought could have even been higher than a 13. And, and I'll be honest, I think Vermont wins this game outright. I am taking the money line. And I think Vermont not only wins this game, but Vermont gets to the Sweet 16 because I don't think Connecticut is a formidable five seed. And so I think that the Catamounts get to the second weekend. Obviously, they'll meet their match against Gonzaga. Uh, but having said that, um, I will certainly uh, be on the Catamounts here. Love them plus five. And we'll take some money line action as well. Absolutely. Hey, we got a shout out. Another South Jersey guy, right? Chris Santo on the coaching staff. There you go. Graduate of your high school. That's right. Go Cherry Hill East Cougars. I should have said that, but thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on this, though. I like the Catamounts a lot. They're number one in the country keeping the opponents off their offensive glass. Not that Arkansas lives and dies by second chance opportunities, but they're a type of team, in my opinion, like they – they embody their coach. Their coach embodies their program to me. You know, and Musselman is a lunatic. Um, I like his passion, but at the same time, in a game where the team starts to get frustrated, I can see him becoming very frustrated and that just feeding off each other. Um, and in a situation like this where Vermont keeps them off the offensive glass, it's going to be a lot of one and dones. They're going to have some frustrations throughout the game. Um, and Vermont, not only are they good defensively, uh, enforcing bad shots, but they're also disciplined on defense. They keep teams off the free throw lines. Uh, the Hogs love to get to the free throw line. So again, another point of frustration might be the fact they can't get to the line like they'd want to. Um, you mentioned Vermont's ability to shoot from deep. They're even better inside the arc. They're third best in the country at field goal percentage inside the arc. Um, so Arkansas also likes to play fast. Vermont likes to slow the pace down. So you're going to see another frustration factor there. If the game's not getting up to the sure. tempo that the hogs would like, the totals tick down a bit. It's favoring the slower pace. And like we said, Catamounts, coach Chris Santo, I'm sure he's going to be a head coach at some point in his career down the line. Uh, wish him nothing but the best. 
and we're going to be here on the cat amounts as well. I'm not going to be taking the money line. Uh, I don't, I don't believe in them a hundred percent and getting the win. Um, but since this is a Friday game, if my South Dakota state Jackrabbits no, do not get the win, game. what's that? It is a Thursday game. Yeah. So I mean, it might depend on what I see out of these two, whichever game happens first. If I don't see one of these 13 seeds getting the victory, I might jump on the other one for the money line too. But either way, both be taking the uh, the points with the cat amounts. Well, there we go. Our favorite plays for the opening round of the NCAA tournament here on Full Slate. Bill, what are the plans? Are you, you know, you're going to be able to just, you know, do you have a tradition every year? Oh you my know? gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's my it's my Christmas in March, man. For years, we've we've me and my buddies have been like between 30 and 40 of us at times. Uh, we always go to the bar for Thursday, but we also have a smaller group that goes out and golfs early in the morning. So we have a uh, an eight o'clock tea time uh, over in South Jersey. Get around in uh, a quick little four man scramble, uh, and then we head over to the bar to watch the games throughout the day. And then for the first time, uh, now that I'm over here. In Philly, we're going to be well, out just outside of Philly. We uh, we're going to be going to Parks Casino. We got a VIP booth there for all the Friday festivities. So looking forward to a great week, early weekend uh, with those two days. How about you? Yeah, uh, my uh, coworkers having a thing at a bar here in Houston where I work at. So heading right from work to uh, hang out with him on Thursday. And that's what's nice when you work in sports. We got eight screens in our radio studios here uh, in Houston where I work. So uh, I won't miss a second of it. And um, still meeting some friends uh, down here. You know I'm relatively new to the area still. And I uh, last weekend met a big college hoops nerd who uh, is free on Friday. So that's the Thursday, Friday plan, Saturday and Sunday. We're still not sure yet, uh, but – you know, I'll be watching for sure and uh, just can't wait to, uh, you know, and I'm with you in terms of the bar setting. Like uh, as as much pride as I take in my channel changing skills, um, <laughs> I, you got to be at a bar with multiple screens. I mean, uh, no doubt, you know, no you doubt be able to bounce around with your eyeballs and not, you know, the remote. So uh, looking forward to it. And I'm sure we'll reconvene next week and uh, talk about the Sweet 16. Sounds good, man. Enjoy it. All right, he's Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. I'm Greg Frank at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter. Everyone, enjoy March Madness. This has been another edition of Full Slate. Follow the podcast at full underscore slate underscore pod. Our buddy Alex does a great job managing that account. And as always, please play responsibly.